Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. sing about, not just shout about, but something to build our lives upon that will not be shifting sand, but let it be a firm foundation today, God, that will hold us and keep us. In Jesus' name, we're putting our faith and our confidence in you, Lord, and we're asking you to help us and help us to stand. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. I was thinking about something just in those opening comments a few years ago, uh, regrettably, we had to tear down the old white building, and uh, we were actually a, was a initial thing was to renovate it and and to update it and use it for some things that we needed it for, and the building was falling apart, and uh, we had to tear it down. And uh, as we were tearing the building down, uh, that. Some, several men here at the church, some of you were uh, here that day present, and some of the men were on the roof taking off the tin and the trusses and things of that nature. As a matter of fact, Brother Jack Bird was running a track hoe, and, and uh, I was standing toward the back of the building, kind of where that machine was, and out of the corner of my eye, I thought the wall, the entire wall of that building moved. But in milliseconds, I had convinced myself that couldn't have happened. And about that time, that machine shut off, and Brother Bird asked me, he said, uh, did that wall just move? <laughs> I said, well, I think it did. I, you know, now I, I, I thought it did, but I didn't know, so we got all of the men off that building and, and uh, down on the ground safely, and, and he just kind of took the arm of that machine and nudged it. If you were here, you remember that building fell like the Twin Towers in its own footprint. And um, as we began to pick up all the pieces, and of course, please don't take these any of these remarks to be a disparaging remark against the generation before us, certainly. They were doing what they could, the best they could, and uh, so we found that there was no lintel that was on the building, so consequently, there was no steel in the lintel to kind of hold the walls together. As we tore on down, there was no steel in the footer, and uh, just simply a trench that had been dug and concrete poured in, block walls laid up. We're just standing there. We're just speechless. The more we unwrap this package, and you realize that for 65 years at that time, that building had been standing there, or there about six, 60 something years. And uh, and so it's it was just a real testimony to the keeping power of the hand of the Lord. <laughs> because we didn't just have windy days through those six decades. We had hurricanes and all manner of things. And uh, when that building fell and a plume of dust went up, uh, someone spoke up and just broke the silence and said, this gentleman is why you dedicate church buildings. <laughs> this is why you pray a prayer of faith. 
And so when the, the Lord just saw that we were finished with the building, I think he just took his hand off of it and said, okay, you guys have got it now. And uh, so we want the hand of the Lord on what we're doing. How fragile it would be, how fragile it would be if God were to remove his hand off of what we're doing. If God were to just take one step back from what we're trying to accomplish here today, it would just be human efforts. And that would be a pitiful thing at the end of the day. Praise the Lord. As we study the book of James, I think, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. I've, I've said many times through this, I have always enjoyed reading the book of James and what, what uh, incremental studies I have done along the way and through the years. But I'm thankful for um, voices in our lives. And we're just reading the letter of James, but I'm thankful for voices in our life that tell us, this: if you do this, this is what can happen. If you do this, this is what can happen, positive, negative. And don't do this, and here's why. And, and uh, so that's what we're talking about today, how that we can grow in the Lord. If we get uh, instructions like this in our heart, um, and, and if we get these things in our heart, we'll have something to shout about. Amen. Some people are shouting, and it's just an emotional thing. I'm not against demonstrative worship at all. But uh, we need to get this in our heart. I, d I don't want to be uh, a foot deep and a, and a mile wide. Amen. I want my depth to match the breadth. Amen. I want, I want it to feel and, and understand that it's significant. It's good to have Brother Gibson with us today. Amen. Good to see Sister Tilly with us again today. And Amen. She went and got a few days rest here a while back. And uh, <laughs> there's easier ways to do that than in the hospital. But... Uh, but we're glad that you're here with us today, and God bless you. As we study this book, it's important to remember that the audience that James is writing to were New Testament Christians. And so James is not writing a letter just like in general and just whoever picks up this book or whoever reads this parchment. But he's writing to the New Testament church, and he is writing instructions on practical real-life Christianity, some how-tos. And uh, here's some instruction manuals. Another thing to keep in mind when you're reading the book of James is that the, the particular Christians he is writing to have, are, are brand new. They're young, and so they have not, they're not mature Christians. They, they've had a born-again experience, but they are still on their journey to Christian maturity. As a matter of fact, I think that could be said of all of us today, that we're on a journey here. And so we're looking at the early church in its infancy. And so I think it's very important to see in context what we're considering. So this is the early church. This is a bunch of new converts. And so we're looking at them, and they're just babes in Christ. Therefore, we, we find a lot of instruction from James about the need to grow up and go on into maturity. Don't stay in this particular state. So James is also addressing the problems that arise among spiritually immature people. And so he is addressing the problems that can come up among people that are spiritually immature. So according to James, some of the things that plagued the early church were the fact that their relationships are characterized by things like strife. And um, 
and so they were they were not as separated, in other words, as they should have been from the world. And you know, I I really do believe and uh, and 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 teach and preach and live the importance of an outward separation from the world. That the world needs to be able to distinctively tell that there is a difference in your walk with God. Amen. I believe a term that I like to use, I believe that there should be some apostolic distinctives among the apostolic church. People ought to be able to see you anywhere and say, well, you know, that, that right there, there that, that's an apostolic or Pentecostal man or woman. There should be some things that, that characterize that. However, uh, I also understand the importance that, or understand the reality that you can be separated on the outside and not have your heart right on the inside. And so they were not as separated from the world as, as they should have been because this needs to be both an inward and an outward separation. And so like most physical things that we face, and even, in our, even in our own body, there are symptoms that by and large sort of indicate what's going on in our lives. We go to the doctor and one of the first things that they want to know is to talk to me about your symptoms. And many times in describing and explaining some of the symptoms that we're facing, it helps them to hone in on what's most likely going on in your life. And so they, they, then they begin to test accordingly, and uh, you get that. But if we look at James 4, we're going to begin the fourth chapter of James today, and um, we'll just get as far as we can here this morning. And uh, James 4 and 1, James asked the question again to a New Testament church full of people that are that are that are filled with the Holy Ghost. They have had a born again experience, but they are still trying to mature in the Lord. And so he asked this question: From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? So he asked a couple of questions here. What? James is kind of stepping into the scene, kind of like a parent going into a bedroom and saying, "What is going on?" Right? He steps into the middle of some chaos and confusion and he asks them a sobering question or a couple of sobering questions because he asks what's, what's going on, what means all of this, and then he defines the root of it and where it's coming from. It may seem strange that the first century church experienced so many problems in the area of human relationship because we don't really view them in that regard because many times, or at least sometimes, we have a tendency to romanticize the first century church. That's the truth. Oh, if we could just be like them. And people ask questions today. And uh, I'm thankful for the heritage that we have, not just in this church, but I'm thankful for our heritage at large. But if we're not careful, we can romanticize certain periods of time. And we think, well, man, if we were just back in the 50s. Do you know what? They were facing the same old stuff. That <laughs> If we could just go resurrect some of those saints and ministers and they would, and we could describe to them our problems, and and they would just kind of nod their heads. Yeah, we cross some of those, cross some of those same bridges, 
And so we have a tendency to romanticize this first century church and we think if somehow we could just recreate that atmosphere in today's church that we would just have unprecedented revival. We, if we could just get over us being us, if we could just get back to that day. Now, it, it's true that the early church did experience some rapid growth, and in many ways, in many ways, it is an era to be admired, and I don't want to take anything away from that. To be sure, they face many, many things, however, that uh, are issues that we still combat today in the 21st century. Um, you would have probably no reason to remember this, but uh, uh, m probably 20 plus, maybe 25 years ago or so, I was reading a, and uh, and I, I taught on this one Wednesday night, I was reading an article, and it was actually a sermon, it was actually sermon notes or a transcript uh, of a, a sermon notes, and this man was preaching about, it. it just sounded like, I mean, he was just, he could have preached that message today, right now, it was just that relevant, and when you get to the end of, all of the, this sermon, when you get down to the very end, uh, sort of the kicker is the fact that he preached this message in the 17th century. There wasn't five degrees difference between, <laughs> between what he was dealing with and what we're dealing with today. And so it, we have to understand that. So they face the same things in some regard that we are facing today. I think there are principles that the early church uh, can uh, and should be applied in our day. And I think if we do that, that we will become more effective as a church. However, the people of the first century church were people just like at any other time and just like us today. Their culture, their values, uh, society around them, uh, influence, it has an influence on us. And so what's going on in the world influences us to a large degree, I think a much larger degree sometimes than we're willing to admit. In many ways, these negative these uh, influences were negative. But most of all, like, like people of all times, they were primarily victim of their sin nature. I think we are negatively influenced by the culture that we live in today. I think we could point at a lot of things that are going on around us in the world and and say, well, because of that impending storm over here, that's probably like we, why we are facing this. And there may be some measure of truth to that. But before we just hang all of our hang-ups on those things, we've got to realize that like most people of every generation, we are victims of our own sin nature. So we can blame the culture, we can blame the times, we can blame... Um, we, we can blame anything. You can find anything to hang it, a nail to hang it on, but primarily our biggest issue is the man in the mirror. Yeah, amen, the woman in the mirror. That's the big issue because being born again, receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I, I know my audience today, so I, I, I think you will understand what I'm saying, that when we are born again, that does not totally eradicate, eradicate, or it certainly does not instantly eradicate our flawed sin nature. We got a treasure when we got the Holy Ghost. We sure did. But that treasure went into an earthen vessel, an imperfect vessel. And so it's clear when we read New Testament books like Corinthians and Galatians and Colossians and Hebrews and, of course, here in the book of James, that the early church faced severe problems theologically 
and they face severe problems practically. In fact, in fact, most of the epistles are written in a response. I may not be 100% right about this. I'm painting with a little bit of a broad brush, but get the point. Most of the epistles were a response to some kind of problem or sin that was going on in the church. You know, it's, it, it's an interesting thing to do. It's quite easy to do today because of the Internet. But you can, uh, you can look up strange laws, and not just laws of a nation, but strange laws in, uh, in states. Even, even more weird are strange laws in little towns and cities. And, and we are looking at this years removed from the issue, and we're going, what were they thinking? But you see, it was a problem at some point. I mean, who would blow dry your hair in a tub of water while sitting in a tub of water? Somebody must have. <laughs> so, who who would make toast with a toaster sitting on the edge of the tub? Somebody must have. <laughs> because there's all sorts of warnings on everything because somewhere somebody tried this. They were... To save time, they thought they would take a shower and dry their hair. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so we're, we're standing back here removed from that situation and going, what were they thinking? But there's somebody around us that could look at the actions of our own life and the responses of our own lives and going, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? And so... Uh, when we consider that, that much of that was not only written as an, an instructional manner, but it was also written to take care of some problems. So James kind of steps through the forefront of our minds, and he asks a very serious question, and he says, where are these wars and fightings? Where, what is the basis of this? Why are there wars and fightings among you? Now, I think it's important to understand that James was a preacher and he is speaking to Christians, but this is not a theological question. This is a practical question. And I don't think that James is using his best stained glass voice when he asks this question. I don't think he has on his priestly garments. I think James is exasperated and saying, what in the world are you fighting about? And why is this found among you? In the church, we have already read that James addressed many different issues. He addressed those that, sh that, that were showing partiality in our earlier portions of this study. He addressed those who uh, were unsuccessful in controlling their tongue and uh, many other things that he said. Now James is addressing those whose relationships have deteriorated to the point that he called them war. <laughs> I, th I think that's more than somebody just got a little bit cross-threaded. That somebody got somebody else's seat or someone parked in somebody else's parking place or you finally saved up enough money and got that dress or that suit and you came to church and somebody's wearing the identical same one. <laughs> you pastor long enough, you just know where all these hot spots are. You just have them, you just have those already flagged. And so these wars and fightings, and so if you're around the church long enough, and I will say this, if you're around this church long enough, you're going to discover that conflicts arise. Yeah. 
tensions. I've walked in rooms before and you could almost run into the tension. Like spider webs. Just wonder what in the world's going on. You just feel like, you know, people came with their own agenda and conflicts and it's just our human nature and uh, conflicts are going to be in the church. But hear me, that is not God's will and it is not God's design. Amen. That's why I said don't let the sun go down on your... Are we going to bump heads from time to time? Sure. Deal with it. Amen. Deal with it. Right then, take care of it as best it can be and, and take care of that. Jesus said to his disciples in John 13 and 34, I'll read a couple of verses here. The Bible says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And here's this 35th verse. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love to one another. So here, here's how people are going to know that you're mine. It's, it's how you interact with one another. It's how you treat one another and talk to one another. And you know, there can be cultures born in families and cultures that are born in church families um, and that are both healthy and unhealthy. And you know, some, some families just kind of have a, um, a sarcastic way of talking to one another. They don't mean that to be destructive, but... You know, when you hear that, when you see that, uh, it's it, it's off-putting a little bit. And you know that same culture can get in a church and there can be just a, a cynicism and a, a talking down and a making fun of and a making light of. Or the other side of that, there can be a talking up and a, and a lifting up. And my goodness alive, there's enough world, there's enough junk going on in the world. We don't need to come to church and be pushed down. We need to come to church and be lifted up. Amen. We certainly need to be instructed and we need to be, uh, things need to be dealt with by all means, but, but uh, we ought to leave church, uh, for the most part, we ought to leave feeling better than we were when we came. Something ought to, maybe something challenges us, maybe there's a passage of scripture or a message that challenges us where we live, there's nothing wrong with that. Amen. We need to be challenged from time to time. I'm fixing to read a scripture in just a moment that's fixing to challenge a bunch of people. We need to be challenged from time to time, and, uh, but we don't need to let that develop a wrong spirit within us. You're interested to hear that scripture, aren't you? It's, it's Acts 4.32. Don't look around. And in the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Amen. The New Testament church, they're still in the delivery room spiritually and they make sure that everybody has everything in common. Amen. I'm not talking about socialism. I'm not talking about that at all, but I'm just talking about how our heart would say, I don't want my brother to do without whenever I could take care of that or do something about that. And so sometimes in light of that, that makes us uncomfortable because we want... We want mine, 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 mine. People go through a buffet line and they dip out more than they know they can eat. And if you really want to cultivate them dipping out more, let there just be a little bit of chicken left. They're not going to look back down the line and into your lonely eyes. (laughs) They're going to pretend you're not even there. They're going to... They'll just kind of turn this way and they're just going to dip out. 
they couldn't eat that many chicken wings if their life depended on it. And that's just the nature of who we are. Let's don't let's 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 put all this in a pile. Amen. But the multitude that they were of one heart and they were of one soul. And neither of them said any of them that all of the things which they possessed was his own. This is not mine to begin with. The Lord gave this to me or I wouldn't even have it. Amen. So who am I not to help? Because the Lord could take it all away, all away in an instant of time, in an instant of time. And you know what? I'm being very serious when I tell you, you'd be surprised how many people don't believe that. They don't believe they could lose everything in a moment of time. They don't believe they could all just go washing away down the river and out into the gulf. But so if you're struggling to believe that, let me just say this, that the Lord can take away the worth or the value of that to you in an instant of time because if you knew you were going to die at 4 o'clock today, it wouldn't matter. It, it wouldn't matter about your pocket knife collection. It wouldn't matter about it wouldn't matter about your hunting rifle or your golf clubs. It wouldn't matter about nothing. Nothing. It would all lose its value. I promise you, you could not drive to the parking lot of the hospice house today in any in any city and, and, and get a conversation going with that patient in there about the price of gasoline. They don't care. That's not even on their radar at this particular moment in time. And so God help us to realize that what I have, I have by the grace of God. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, uh, he, he said, you need to speak the same thing. He meant that there be no divisions among you, but you need to be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the same judgment. Later, later, Paul, uh, to, that, to a group of believers in Philippi, he said, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy of the, God, the, the, worthy of the gospel of Christ. I, uh, I'll meander just a moment, but I'll be back. I remember checking into a, uh, we were at a conference somewhere many, many years ago, and uh, we were checking in. It was a large hotel in a downtown area. And there were several people, you know, several uh, in the large, larger hotels, several people that can check you in. And I was, there was a man down the way there. And, oh, he was just giving the lady behind the counter the blues. I felt so sorry for her. Somehow they had mixed up his reservation. But he never stopped to think about that this young girl standing behind the counter didn't do that. It was an inconvenience. I get it. But the lady you're talking to, she had nothing to do with it. She just showed up for work. And he is just eating her lunch. And I just felt so sorry for her. We just kept looking down and thinking, man, what kind of guy are you? And that night I saw him in church. (laughs) I was like, are are you kidding me? Conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. My, my, my. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Somebody's watching. Somebody's listening. I'm not talking about facades, but it needs to be in our heart. Paul said, conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Paul reproved the Corinthian church in 3 and 1. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto, unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? I mean, Paul is calling them out. Paul is saying, grow up. Grow up. You can't get any further on the meat of the gospel because you refuse to grow up and let the Spirit of the Lord... There's more. If you think this milk is good, wait, wait. There is something so much more significant. You think this oatmeal and, 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 and you think these pureed carrots are good. There is something so much better than this just down the road. But all you got to do is grow up. You got to grow up into Christ. And so in the, in the face of non-Christian behavior, sincere people will sometimes ask, why in the world would they do that? Why would a Christian respond that way? And, and, uh, and so I want to deal with this, if I can, carefully without giving a license to kill. And so I think if, if we look at people who sometimes respond uh, in a way that they should not respond, and again, I'm not excusing anything, but I do want to clarify something. And we ask, how could someone do that? I think that question at face value has the potential to overlook the distinction between justification and sanctification. Now, I want to lose you with these two big words here, but, but you can overlook the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification, when we come to an altar of repentance and, the, and, and we sincerely pour our heart out before the Lord, we're baptized in His name, receive His Spirit, justification declares us to be innocent. Amen. The blood washed away our past. And my right elder, the blood washed us away. And so justify. I've often said the word justify, the way to really define that in your mind. When I was justified, it was justify I had never sinned. I had a clean slate. It happens in a moment. It happens in a moment of time. It happens by the grace of God through faith. It doesn't happen based on past behavior. It doesn't happen based on my performance. It is the grace of God that justifies my past. However, sanctification has everything to do with my growth from that point forward. And then that is the manner in which a believer gradually becomes or con gradually conforms to the character of Jesus Christ. And so it's important to understand that while justification and sanctification begin at the same time, it sanctification is a process. And it is a gradual process. Justification is immediate. It is complete. But sanctification is going on and on and on and on. It's always developing. I've talked about holiness a lot through the years. And one writer refers to holiness as a highway. And so I'm just going to repeat it again today. My responsibility, my hope, and my consolation comes with just getting people on the same highway, pointed in the same direction, and they will eventually get to where they need to be. I'm going to use my same old illustration because I want it to be nailed in our heart. 
Amen. Some people have started out on 75 North in Miami, and they're just starting out. Some people are in Orlando, some in Valdosta, some in Chattanooga. We're on the highway. We're all headed in the same direction. Amen. And so let me reach out to all of, of us today. Let me reach out to the church, those that have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Don't exit off. Don't head back the other way. Amen. You can't lead people from behind. Amen. I especially want to say to our leaders, our leaders must lead. And you can't lead from behind. That's called pushing. Amen. We need to live a life, an example before other people. And not just to our church leadership. But you know what? We need some elders that are not backing up. Amen. We need some, we need some seniors. We need some gray hair. We need some wrinkled brows that are saying, you know what? I'm in this thing. I'm in this thing for the long haul. I didn't start to stop. I didn't buy this to sell it. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm telling you what your pastor needs. Your pastor needs, any pastor needs somebody that they can point to, a new convert, and say, you know what? You may not be there yet, but just keep your eye on them. Amen. Just keep reaching for them. That's why we can't back up. Praise God. And we got to keep moving forward. Amen. We need to understand that in this growing process, in this process, this is where we learn to submit to the Lord. Amen. True Christianity produces a life that grows or a life that matures in Christ. Amen. As that growth occurs, there's always, 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 always some physical, outward evidence of what's taking place on the inside. Something is changing on the inside and it is affecting us on the outside. Praise the Lord. Yes, it is. Amen. James 4 and 1 from another, trans, from another translation reads like this. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? And so here's the second question. He said, is it not this that your passions are at war within you. So James asks a question and then he answers a question, that same question with a question. He said, what is causing these quarrels and what's causing these fights? He said, is it not the passions that war in you? It, the source of our conflict is our own passions. I know we would much rather blame the other guy. We would much rather blame the other girl, the other person. But he said, your war, the real crux of the matter is there is a conflict within you. Amen. The word passions is translated from the root word hedonism. Now we're getting serious. Because this indicates the gratification of fleshly desires. In the New Testament, the word is always used. Hedonism is always used in a negative and an ungodly sense. Hedonism is the uncontrolled personal desire to fulfill every passion that promises satisfaction and enjoyment. Doesn't that sound like the world in which we live? If it feels good, do it. If it feels right, just let it go. Just do what you want to do. According to Timothy and also according to Jude, hedonists are lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. The list goes on and on and on and on without self-control, brutal, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. 
So therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. So when people surrender their fleshly passions, they do so under the delusion of expressing some sort of personal freedom, not realizing that in actuality they're only manifesting that they are slaves to the corruption of this world. Amen. When we satisfy our flesh at every turn and around every corner, then we are announcing we're not, you know, some people say there's just so much bondage in the church. There's just too much, there's too much this, too much that in the church. Let me tell you something. You've never seen bondage like the bondage that comes with sin. Praise God. Is it all right if I just preach today? I mean, we need to get our ear away from that wall that's talking about the church just being bondage and holding you back and putting more on you than you can bear. Let me tell you something. The devil's a hard taskmaster. The hard taskmaster. We've heard it said that sin will take you further than you ever intended to go and cost you more than you intended to stay. Amen, we've talked about all of that, but I'll say this, have we added an addendum several years ago to that saying that another thing about that is that sin, just because you're finished with sin doesn't mean sin is finished with you. Just because you're tired of playing footsies with the devil doesn't mean he's tired of playing footsies with you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. There's a reason there's a line. There's a reason there's a fence around that mountain. There's a reason that there is a border. There's a reason there's a lock on that door. There's a reason. There is a reason why I've got something of great value. I'm protecting something of great value. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. God, help us in this house. Amen. These strong but forbidden desires war within. The point is that these desires express themselves through various members of the human body. Having just concluded our discussion about the tongue, we should understand that. And so they manifest themselves sometimes through the tongue. Amen. James obviously includes the tongue itself because it can yield to the passions of what? The war within. The war within. So in the church in which James is writing, these simple passions express themselves, resulting in individual battles that when, when taken together, enough battles taken together becomes a war. And now we move to verse number 2. And uh, verse number 2. You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, you cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. And so, to just drive home a point, James kind of speaks pretty candid and he talks about murder and covetousness, these fleshly efforts. Amen. And so he gets fairly plain here because he said, you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have, but you cannot obtain it's doubtful that the reference to murder here, of course, <coughs> in the scripture, or killing is to be taken literally. But I think we get the point. 
frustrated, let's think about verse number three. He said, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that it may consume it upon your lust. Verse 2 explains that people have not because they ask not. However, verse 3 clarifies that, that their prayers are not genuine because they have wrong motives. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> We had something funny happen during a, a time when my, my mother-in-law was in the nursing home. Many of you remember for a long time. And she was trying to convince my my wife of something. And and uh, and so in actuality, my mother-in-law was just confused. She was at a pretty bad place in her life, and she was confused. And, and um, so she said she no longer wanted to talk to her about this. And she said, she said, go get Steve. That's what she called me. And uh, she used to go get Steve. So I come in. And she said, okay, Mom, I have him on speakerphone. She said, I want you to have prayer. Can we have prayer right now? I said, sure. And we had prayed many times. We had, in all fairness, prayed many times with her on the phone and speakerphone. And so I think we're just setting up for, a, you know, we're having prayer. I think that's where, I think that's where we're going. <laughs> we're having prayer. And so I'm, I'm starting to pray. I said, okay, you ready? Okay, here, let's go. We're going to pray right now. I said, oh, Lord. And so when I started praying, generally she never really prayed out loud. She just let us do the praying. And all of a sudden she starts praying. And her prayer was this. She said, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. She's referred to a little nickname she used to call her daughter. And she said, oh, Lord, help her see that I'm right. Oh, Lord. Am I telling the truth? <laughs> help her. Open her eyes, oh, Lord. Open her. I'm, I am trying to pray a sincere prayer. And I am just having my mouth over my hand. And, and I, I'm just thinking, Lord. And so we, I couldn't pray for listening to her pray. She was interceding. I mean, she hadn't gotten, she hadn't gotten serious about this. Lord, help her to see the error of her way. Oh, Lord, help her to open her eyes and see that I am right and that she is wrong. I'm, I'm not making this up. You, there's no sense in lie when the truth is just so much. There's so many truthful things that happen. Why would you lie? And so if we're not careful, our motives can be wrong. <laughs> I'm not sure if the Lord grins, but I think he kind of grinned about that myself. I think it kind of gave her a blessing, bless her Jesus kind of moment. <laughs> I'm never going to get finished today, so I'm just going to. I'm just trying to find a place to land here. And uh, and so if we're not careful, we can pray with wrong motives. And a good example of this, scriptural, that was a pretty good example, but a scriptural example of this is a parable of Jesus about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus said the Pharisee stood and prayed, and he prayed thus with himself. <laughs> the Pharisee gave an outward evidence of praying like he was addressing God but he really prayed with himself oh God you know how good I've been and we pray with wrong motives and because his heart was not right he said what James said he asked amiss 
Proverbs teaches us on the subject of prayer that it that fails to please God because Solomon said this in Proverbs 28 9, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Now that's a serious thing. Just leave that on the screen a moment. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law. So I don't care what you preached. I don't care what you taught. I don't care what the Bible says. And then we think we're just going to turn around and go over here and say, oh, dear Lord, I love you today and I pray. Solomon said, your prayer shall be an abomination because we can't just step over the law of God and think that God is just going to wink at us. Amen. Church has become a social center and we just kind of look at it like a boys club or the girls club. This is a serious thing what's going on here today. It is because the word's going forth. Not my word. His word is going forth. And now we're going to be accountable to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it. That becomes sin. And the Bible says, and the soul that sinneth shall surely die. That soul that sinneth shall surely die. So this is very, very serious stuff. Amen. And, and uh, ye adulterers, in verse number four, and adulterers says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? He asks a question. Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Friendship with the world. Sometimes we just want to hold hands in both worlds and it's just not ever going to work. It's just not ever going to work. Amen. So let's ask the Lord to help us and touch us. Amen. That is a very serious thing to think that we can compromise mandates in Scripture and that somehow this is all going to end. Let's stand together if we will. And I'll, I'll conclude here. I read an old um, I read an old, an old Russian proverb and uh, I'll do my best to recite this a little bit from memory. But it went something like this. There was a was a um, Russian man who went hunting and when he went hunting uh, he come upon a bear and so he leveled his he leveled his rifle down to shoot this bear and to his surprise and dismay the bear spoke up in a human voice and said hey what are you doing and he said, well, I'm hungry and I need, uh, he said, I'm cold and I need a fur coat. And the bear said, you know, he said, I believe we could reason this out. And he said, well, what, what do you think we could reason out? He said, well, you're, you're cold and you need a fur coat and I'm hungry and I need a full belly. He said, why don't we just sit down here and let's talk about this just a minute. Set that rifle down and let's talk about this. So as the proverb continues on, they each got their wish. The bear got a full stomach and the man got his fur coat.
That's how compromise works. Because you see, a bear is a bear. And so when the devil says, put that word down, and let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's reason this out. There's some things that are not up for discussion. Some, some things, no, no, no. That's not, that's not on the table. It has never been on the table. I don't have the power to put it on the table. I don't have the power to take it off the table. It's the forever settled word of God. And so if we think that somehow we could just compromise with the world system and we're going to walk away unscathed, we're going to lose it all. Amen. Hear me today. We're going to lose it all because the devil is in an all or nothing proposition. What did he tell Simon Peter? The Lord said, I pray for you because Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. He's not just trying to bruise your arm. He's not just trying to black your eye, but he wants to utterly destroy. I'm thankful for the word of God. Amen. I'm thankful for his word. I didn't get through it today. We'll finish it another time. Pray perhaps if the Lord will grant us mercy to that. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to touch us right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I love you today. I'm eternally grateful for your power and your word and your presence. And I ask you today, God, to help us to be what you would have us to be and, and not let us today become wavering and waffling in the principles and the precepts of your word that are true. They're forever settled. God, let your spirit touch our lives and strengthen us today in the name of the Lord. Don't you love his, his word today? Amen. Always love his word. Always love his word. Praise God. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to have a lot of things when we come together in the house of the Lord. But the most important thing that will ever happen was not the fact that they had perhaps some kind of snack or some kind of art or craft or something that entertained our children today. The most valuable thing that happened in our children's ministry is somebody opened the word of God, planted the seed in their heart. Amen. The most important thing that will happen today is that somebody stands behind this desk and says, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, write it in my heart. Amen. Let it be woven in my mind. In Jesus' name, let's magnify him together in song. Praise God. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.